Hello and welcome to KVU. My name is Emma Lugo, your reporter, and today we are talking with Jerry Spriggs, the creator of Equal Voice Voting and the author of All Votes Matter. Jerry, welcome to KVU. Thanks, Emma. Glad to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks. So, um, Jerry, let's start just maybe first you can tell us a little bit about yourself. And then we'll talk about your book, All Votes Matter, and your campaign for electoral reform. Okay. Well, I'm retired, and uh, I had a career as what they call an instructional designer, basically creating curriculum and and designing curriculum and training materials for corporations and the military and so on. And I got into that because of my interest in, in games. I like, as a hobby, I like to make games. And back in the 90s, I was living in Arizona, and I was watching presidential elections like so many of us do. And I saw those electoral maps, the red and blue maps. And in 92, Arizona went red, and in 96, it went blue. And I realized then that, well, it just doesn't represent how people are truly voting. And so that's where the interest started. And it's kind of hard to believe that I've been focused on this for over a quarter of a century already. But uh, I started fiddling with the mechanism, learning a little bit about the history, the principles of the Electoral College and so on. And that's when I came up with the idea of equal voice voting, which carries forward the proportional voting system set up by our constitutional framers. Uh, So in doing that, I had to kind of do some analysis. So I went back 16 elections. I went from 1960 through the last election. And I uh, did spreadsheets showing uh, how we voted on a state-by-state basis and what could have happened had everybody voted the same uh, using my system, which I call equal voice voting. Um, great. Well, Jerry, thanks so much for sharing that. Um, so let's talk about your your idea of equal voice voting. What is equal voice voting? How is it different from how we vote right now? Well, right now, how we vote is uh, every state uh, casts their ballots, except for Nebraska and Maine, but every state uh, casts their ballot for whomever, whichever candidate wins the popular vote in that state. It's an all or nothing situation. It's a winner takes all situation. And so equal voice voting uh, breaks that down so that instead of a, a, a candidate capturing all electoral votes, they would capture the proportion according to the proportion of popular votes in the state. Um, it's, a, it's a simple formula and it works in the background. People wouldn't vote any different than they do now. But if, for example, in Oregon, we now have eight electoral votes, if uh, if a Republican votes for a Republican candidate, it is assumed at this point in time that their vote really wouldn't matter because the Democrat candidate would would take all of it. So basically, let me see if I understand this. So basically, the idea is that the percentage of people who vote Republican and the percentage of people who vote Democrat would be reflected in the electoral college for every state in the country. Is that is that the basic idea? That's the basic idea. And it, it, why not just get rid of the electoral college altogether? 
Great question. A lot of people don't like the Electoral College because, you know, they, they understand that the Electoral College results don't seem to comport with how the nation votes on a popular vote. Uh, it's been tried something like 800 times to amend the Electoral College. It's extremely hard to do. Um, but it's actually a very ingenious system because if you don't, if you do just a straight popular vote, which was feared by our, our constitutional framers, by the way, uh, you would find that our next president would be elected by the major population centers. For example, New York and, and California would be picking our president and the, the states in between, you know, would be kind of uh, left out of the, the mix. Our, but one of the, one of the arguments that, you know, people have made for getting rid of the electoral college that's in reference directly to the point that you're bringing out is this idea that somehow the way that our system is set up right now, it basically gives like the land of vote. I mean, it gives huge geographic areas with almost no population, um, like an undue amount of influence in the national politics. And the problem is that what we've seen uh, in recent history is that that has basically benefited uh, white supremacy. So um, there's been this this call out on the electoral system and how it's functioning right now that really points out how it benefits systems of oppression, which um, you know work against the interests of people of color and work in the interests of white people be, because the vast majority of rural America is so overwhelmingly white and so overwhelmingly Christian. And so it creates a disproportionate effect on our national legislation because of this very principle that we're talking about. Do, do, you, do you see that as a problem? It is a problem uh, because it, the majority in a state holds sway. And, and so it, it discourages people from voting. We cannot be proud of our voter turnout in this nation. Um, even on a good year. So what happens is people just stay away from casting a ballot altogether. They do not engage in the democratic process. So you have states where people are basically silent. So one of the, it's an interesting little side here, if I may. Uh, when I did this, one of the things that kind of jumped out at me was Mississippi. For several elections, they had six electoral votes. And we think of Mississippi is is definitely a red state, but using my system, three votes would have gone for the Republican and three would have gone for the Democrat, which reveals to me that there are a lot of people in minorities that are just not being heard. And if those minorities are not being heard, they don't vote generally. And so we're not getting a true uh, feeling or a, a result from those people who are, are in our nation. It's not truly a representative democracy when we do it as we do. So yes, your point is very well taken, be it white supremacy or, or whatever uh, creates a problem. Um, it doesn't have to be that way. Minority voices should be heard. And so, you know, it's just a fair and equal process is what I'm suggesting. Your, your book, All Votes Matter, it kind of goes into the whole uh, breakdown of how equal voice voting works. Can you tell us about your book? Sure, be glad to. Uh, 
one of the things that I discovered is that people really don't understand how the Electoral College works. There's a lot of assumptions and, and false notions out there. So I I made the book kind of as a primer to to teach people uh, the history, the principles, and so on that are involved. And so I, I devote a little bit of space to you know how it was formed, the, the Constitution, and so on, and why why it was established as it is. Um, the Electoral College was established for a number of principles. And then the book lays those out. And then I also have a chapter on the National Poplar Interstate Compact process. I have a little bit of attention given to gerrymandering and a few other things that affect the vote. So I wanted to be a little comprehensive, a little light on the math, because math sometimes pushes people away, but it's a little difficult to talk about this sort of thing when we're talking about percentages and votes and so on. But I tried to make it complete, and I didn't really write it by myself. I had the wonderful help of others to proofread and to weigh in. I have a, a very good friend who's a, a doctor in, in history, uh, another one uh, uh, who is a former um, assistant Attorney General for Oregon. He's now retired. Uh, people of some gravitas, you might say, helped me really focus on the salient issues of of our voting process. Um, so, Jerry, when you wrote your book, you also began on a campaign. You didn't just like create this idea of equal voice voting and write a book about it called All Voters Matter, All Votes Matter. But you've also been busy campaigning for the implementation of this idea. Can you tell me a little bit about the campaign that you've engaged in to try to get your ideas for equal voice voting um, adopted by state legislatures and um, also maybe by federal representatives around the country? Well, federal representatives is not really in their corner to work with. It's a state issue. I did succeed in getting a, a Republican delegate in Maryland to um, submit a bill. Um, it was tabled in their House Ways and Means Committee. Uh, and he assured me, he says, don't be dismayed by that. He says, at least it was tabled. It wasn't voted down. So it was it was interesting. Uh, but it's very difficult to get legislators to go with an idea when the public is not informed or in, in favor of something like that so uh, my quest right now is basically to educate the public as much as I can I've reached out to almost every state legislator in the country and I, I had a blog for four years on a weekly basis and so on so I was trying to get that out there but it's very very difficult um, so I, I, I can't say that I'm, I'm coming off with a rousing success because people are just a little uh, confused by the whole thing. I I was kind of stunned, frankly, by how many legislators in office don't know how the Electoral College works. That's a little scary. But uh, I've never had anybody uh, tell me that the idea was a bad idea or that it wouldn't work or anything of, of the nature. I mean, very encouraging is just to get people to vote for something or you know to stand behind it the popular the population has to behind it be behind it you know they often say that 
politics uh, lives downstream from our culture. And uh, it, it just, I just have not really made a difference. So I feel, I'm feeling that if I can get the book out there and get people talking and like, and submittals to, you know, radio stations such as KBU and so on, it really will help people realize that we can do this differently and we do not need a constitutional amendment. And we can work on this on a state-by-state basis. Personally, I would love to see Oregon use it and be a leader across the nation, because if we can be a a state that listens to its constituents, I think that would be a great message across the country, especially in our divided politics that we endure today. So, So, so Jerry, how would this work work on a state-by-state basis? So, for instance, um, I, I know the idea is basically an equal proportion of whatever the vote is in that state to the delegates. Um, but is it also broken up even more localized than that? Like, would it be by district or would it be the percentage of the overall state vote? How do you, how do you kind of break down those um, smaller details? Okay, you want to get into the math a little bit, don't you? Uh, a little bit. A little bit, that's fine. Um, it, it's really simple. Uh, you take the popular vote of the uh, of the, the nation of the state whatever that is uh, and you divide it by the number of electoral votes that state gets that provides a factor i call it the popular vote value and then you take a candidate's popular vote of the state whatever that is and you divide it by that factor and that will give you the number of electoral votes that that candidate has. Now, the formula gets into a little more detail, and I show it in the book about, you know, rounding up or rounding down and so on. So you still come out with even number electoral votes. But uh, like in situation with Oregon, you might have, for example, uh, five votes go to the Democrat and three for the Republican or some such. Uh, but it's all based on the popular votes. It's not based on the districts at all. Uh, but it eliminates this winner-take-all pox that we have to live with. Uh, we do not have to be enduring uh, a process that was not instigated by our constitutional framers. Uh, so it's uh, it's unfortunate, but we've been living with this process for all all these years, and it's become kind of a habit or an expectation. And we don't take the time or interest to really investigate and say, hey, we can do this better and, and keep the intention of, of the framers that put it put it together. So yeah. Jerry, did the Jerry, did the constitution itself specify a winner take all system for each state, or was that something that was just adopted by common practice by every state as they became a member of this country? Yeah, the winner-take-all aspect is not even mentioned. It's not in the Constitution at all. And the states uh, took it on themselves. And there, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a fuzzy history about how that occurred. But in my mind, from what I've read and so on, it basically came down to let's make this easy. And so what you essentially have because of that process is you have not one election, you have 51 elections. You have 50 states in Washington, D.C., and each one then comes up with their one candidate and it weighs in rather than saying each state would get a proportion and apply it as one election. It simplifies the whole election process. 
And in my hope, it would engage more people to to, to participate in the elections. I'm showing Oregon as an example. We're talking about Oregon as an example, uh, wherein the Republican candidate could get a few votes. The same thing would apply in what we call red states, wherein Democrat can, uh, the Democrat candidate would also get their share. So you would no longer have huge voting blocks such as California or Texas and so on, where these uh, gargantuan blocks of electoral votes that only go to one candidate. It's really not representative of how we vote. And I think we can do so much better and be, you know, helpful. So uh, on the whole, do you think that this way of voting would, uh, do, do you think that it would change the map very much? I mean, I mean, if you have like some states where a majority like Texas, I'll go to the Republican and another state where the vast majority, I'll go to the Democrat, then in the end, does it still kind of balance itself out or is it? Is it still pretty imbalanced? I'm just kind of wondering, like, if if we actually did voting this way, if we we're able to persuade everybody in every state to change their electoral college this way, how do you think? I mean, based on your knowledge of the last several elections, like, what kind of a, what kind of a change do you think people would see? Well, it, just from a visual point of view, instead of uh, a map of the United States being in red states and blue states, you'd have a map of shades of purple uh, one person joked with me saying i should have named my book 50 shades of purple uh, but that's exactly what would what we would see it would be a blend of participation uh, it, you know some states would probably stay very red some states would stay very blue because they they're just structured that way but by and large you would see a real shift in in results. And then when you have the election, people would be on the edge of their chairs watching. How is this going to fall? Are we going to, uh, is our work in the field really going to garner some extra electoral votes? Or, you know, our complacency uh, cause us to lose votes for our, our party and so on? I, I'm hoping it would be adopted not only to represent people's intent much better, but it would encourage people to go and vote better uh, so it's kind of a two-pronged thing but first people got to be educated they got to become aware that this works you know so it's like i tell people when you when you read the book share it with someone else you know i mean this not just to sell books but i want people to understand how how this works and what can be done and, and get some buzz going so, Jerry, is uh, is this already implemented anywhere in the United States? Are there any state legislatures right now that do split their electoral college votes according to the popular vote in their state? No. The closest, you might say, would be Nebraska and Maine. Those two states are used what they call congressional district voting, which means that their votes can be split uh, somewhat um, Nebraska gets five electoral votes and Maine gets four. And so you could conceivably go in there and, and split that out. But they're still employing the winner-take-all aspect on a district level. So it still isn't exactly what I'm proposing. But so, no, this is, this is rather novel. For example, let's take Maine, 
for example. It's uh, it, it's kind of uh, it's got four electoral votes, and you could have a Republican come in there and uh, get say a vote, and the Democrat get three or two and two, according to how the district votes. Um, so so it can be split up. What I'm suggesting is that even on that level, because they employ a winner-take-all aspect on a district level, there are still some people who are disenfranchised. For example, let's say you live in a, a district, and in that district, you're the minority voice. Your vote basically is not getting represented in the Electoral College. And that's a, a point I, I really want to bring out, is people don't really understand that if you vote in for the minority uh, in your state, the minority candidate, your ballot never gets to the Electoral College. It's not considered. It's basically thrown away. I mean, it's not, but it's it's just not getting any representation. And so that's that's what I'm struggling to, to get across. And I, I say all votes matter because even if you voted for Santa Claus, who obviously isn't going to win the election, your vote will nudge that popular vote value. So your vote will make a difference. Again, I would ask just one more time, if you looked at this, if you took your idea and reverse engineered it going backwards in time, um, who would have been the president in 2016? Uh, the results would have been very much the same, okay? Um, it wouldn't change those major outcomes. That's a great question to ask, Emma, and that's the question that I asked on those 16 elections. But in truth, it's the wrong question, because if you change the rules of the game, the game is changed. So if we change the rules, you're going to have a different voter turnout. And more importantly, probably, you're going to have a different campaign structure across the country. So it's, you know, you're not going to have states who don't get any attention at all and other states who get uh, a maximized attention and so it's going to affect how we respond to some of the greatest elections of our, our life. You know, the, I often say the presidential election is a Super Bowl of elections. And if people don't turn out for them, you know, the down ballot uh, issues and candidates suffer because they're not getting uh, the, the support that they look to. I, I often tell people that if you're comfortable with your ballot in the state that you live in, for goodness sakes, don't move. If you're in Oregon, you're a Democrat, for example, don't move to Idaho because all of a sudden your ballot, though you vote the same person, doesn't matter anymore. It, it will not be affected. It will mm -hmm. not be represented. So. That's interesting. So in 2016, even though Donald Trump like, had about 3 million less in the popular vote, even under equal voice voting, the results would still basically be the same because it's based on the electoral college and the electoral college is designed to sort of help like shift a little bit of the imbalance that happens in a society where you have like overwhelmingly large cities that might just yeah. really tremendously skew the overall national vote. Yeah, that's well said. Uh, you know, the constitution of is full of checks and balance concerns. I mean, our, yeah. our framers were very, very uh, interested in making sure power doesn't uh, reside in one corner of the of our government. And, and so the checks and balances of the Electoral College is that 
a candidate has to get not only the most popular votes, but uh, ideally gets the most uh, states involved. The coalition of states uh, is is important. And that's right now is the Democrats struggle with that because they might have the popular vote, but they don't really have a coalition of the majority of states. And so that makes it a struggle. You know, it, uh, you know one of the things you're bringing up 2016 where Clinton uh, ran against Trump and they say, you know, Clinton got three million more votes, which is true. But if you look at the 49 states and Washington, D.C., Trump got more popular votes. It's only because of California that flipped the tide to where Clinton came out with three million more. So you see, it's that that coalition idea uh, is important. And in a sense, the Electoral College worked as the framers had intended because it it had provided that sense of checks and balances. But we couldn't get out a Democrat message that year to the red states significantly enough to make any difference so that's what i'm saying and i think it would be a surprise to people you know who are are politically active to realize you know how much of a hold do they really have on the state you know how how uh, how majority rule are they involved with or are they not you know so I, I don't know. I just, in my mind, I just think there would be more political engagement, more interest at least, you know, with this kind of an idea. Thanks. Um, well, I think we understand pretty clearly what um, equal voice voting is now. And uh, just uh, what are some of the next steps for you, Jerry, in this campaign to educate voters? You've you've created a whole idea. You've written a book. What's next? I'm just trying to get in front of people of influence. I mean, I, I I led a life of corporate training, and so I'm very used to presenting to folks and so on. And I, I'm very open to being asked to speak at, at uh, groups to explain the idea, um, push the book, obviously, trying to get people to uh, read the basics. Uh, uh, I, I, rather than focusing on state legislators, although I am, uh, I'm actually trying to shift my attention to just the general public. So if the people can realize that this is within our grasp and uh, you, you've heard of the Overton window where we're in a good idea can come along, but if the people aren't ready for it, nothing gets done. A good example of that is, is climate change. You know, people were talking about climate change for a long time before the Overton window shifted such that the population said, Oh, this is a real thing. Or another one is LGBTQ, where, you know, the idea was there uh, and it wasn't until the population, the general public started realizing that these are issues uh, that anything gets done. This is the same thing with what I'm trying to do. If people aren't aware, uh, nothing's going to get done. We cannot ask our state legislators to submit bills when their constituents aren't even aware of what what they're doing, you know, so that's not fair to them in a sense. Although I wish some of them would lead a little bit more than they do, but exactly. well, Jerry, um, if people want to find out more about uh, equal voice voting or learn more about your book, All Votes Matter, uh, where can they go to find out more? Uh, you know, they can go out to equalvoicevoting.com. It's all one word, equalvoicevoting.com. 
And I've got a lot of material out there and, it, you know, some links to like Amazon to buy the book. You can buy it there or at Powell's, uh, uh, not at the store, but online. Um, so the information is readily available. Great. Well, thanks. We've been talking today with Jerry Spriggs, uh, creator of Equal Voice Voting and author of the book, All Votes Matter. Uh, Jerry, thanks so much for joining us today on KBOO. Oh, thanks, Eva. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Bring me a little water, Sylvie. Oh, men, are you going to sing your part? Bring me a little water, Sylvie. Bring me a little water now. Bring me a little water, Sylvie. Every little once in a while. Oh, girls are going to drown you out unless you really sing out. Open up your mouths wide. Bring me a little water. Here we go. One.